This is a special edition of the Citizen of Heaven podcast. I'm Hal Hammond, Citizen of Heaven, your embedded correspondent in Satan's world. Thanks for listening, sharing, and subscribing. Last week, I introduced my Facebook group, Heaven Citizens, to the 10 books I've read so far this year that made me think. This week, I did the same, looking at the books that took me the most by surprise. I appreciate the interest being shown. If this encourages you to read more, my work here is done. So long, of course, as your regular Bible reading doesn't suffer. So here we go. Uh, perhaps one of the very most surprising books that I read this year was The Prayer of Jabez. I don't know if I exactly owe uh, Dr. Bruce Wilkinson an apology or not, but I will say this. Uh, this is not the book that I thought it was. I'm not endorsing the book. Uh, that's not what I'm saying at all. But I had been led to believe that uh, the prayer of Jabez was an unabashed celebration of the health and wealth gospel. And, and I don't think it's that. I don't think that's what the book is at all. If you're not acquainted with the prayer of Jabez, uh, either the prayer that appears in the Bible or the book itself, uh, the prayer of Jabez is in First Chronicles chapter 4, I think it is, just three verses uh, comprise the entire litany of what we know about Jabez in the scriptures. He prayed for physical wealth, for success, protection from his enemies, and God heard his prayer. And that's it. And uh, I was wondering how you can get an entire book out of that. Well, as it turns out, you can't get much of a book. It's, it's pretty small. Uh, nevertheless, it is worthy of attention, at least. So Dr. Wilkinson thought, at least. And I think it is, too. I hold up the idea of praying for your physical circumstances. Dr. Wilkinson does not really promote as much as I had thought the idea of praying to get rich so you can become rich. I can totally see why people would come to the conclusion that they have come to over the years. Uh, but it's more than that. It's not just that. Uh, if you want to read the book, I think that you can draw some some positive lessons from it. Just Remember to keep your prayer for physical blessings, your daily bread, as it were, in proper perspective, not get carried away with it, not to think that that is the most important thing, or, and this is one of the biggest problems with the prayer of Jabez, uh, imagine that God is somehow required or, or locked in to giving you these big requests, things that you're asking for. That's not necessarily the case, and if you do a little research on uh, Dr. Wilkinson, you find out that he found out about that himself also. But anyway, that's enough of that. Uh, the Prayer of Jabez by Bruce Wilkinson. Very interesting read. It's you can probably pick it up for two or three dollars wherever you may find it. It's not much, and uh, it's worth your worth two or three dollars anyway. Uh, second comes the Count of Monte Cristo, which I've been looking forward to for quite some time. I just finished this a, a few days ago. This was maybe the most surprising of any of the books that I'm going to have in in my stack here, and I say that because well, let me give you a little backstory. The Count of Monte Cristo, the film with Jim Caviezel. Uh, is one of my all-time favorite movies. I just absolutely adore the movie, maybe in my top 20 of all time. And I've never read the book before. At least I had not at the time. When I bought the DVD for the movie, I no watched the director's notes, and he had mentioned that the book deviated considerably from the film. Which, the film deviated from the book, rather, which is not surprising. But And he mentioned a couple of specifics. But um, I did not appreciate that the the depth of deviation and I guess you might say the quality of it. The reason that I like the movie so much, or at least one of the reasons, is because of the film's intense 
dive into faith as a motivation. If you don't know the story, let me give it to you in in a 30 seconds or so. Edmund Dantes is a young man. He's engaged to a woman named Mercedes. Uh, he is caught up in a web of circumstances beyond his control and winds up going to prison for a crime that he did not commit. Mercedes has another suitor, Fernand, and Fernand winds up marrying Mercedes. They have a child. Edmond eventually escapes from a prison, finds himself in possession of an enormous fortune, and uses that fortune to wreak his revenge on those who have done him wrong all this time. All of those facts are the same in the film and in the book. One of the major differences is that the film really digs into faith as a motivation. There's a picture of God will give me justice carved into the wall of his cell that appears various times, including at the closing of the movie. The idea clearly is that God was with Edmond this entire time, whether Edmond realized that or not. He flirts with atheism, etc. But God always sees him in the corner of his eye. He always brings him uh, to where he needs to be. Uh, that is completely absent in the book. There's very little time given to faith at all in the book, which really took me by surprise because usually Hollywood has the opposite generalization, right? That it's taking God out of books instead of putting God into books. Now, twist to that, one of the biggest plot deviations from the book to the film is that the child that Mercedes has in the book is Fernand's child, as, as would normally be the case. In the film, Mercedes and Edmond have an interlude before his imprisonment, and she gets pregnant by him out of wedlock, of course. And that plays a very important role in the in the movie, a plot point in the movie. And it works in the movie. It works very well in the movie. But I, I find it interesting that in inserting God and really pressing the point of God so hard in the movie, they find themselves in position to insert a, a bit of fornication, which would have been inappropriate for a, a well-bred person in, in France of the day. It's like you can't make up your mind. You want to have more God but less morality, it seems like. Uh, anyway... That, that was a bit surprising. Very, very good read. Uh, I had uh, been looking forward to that for quite some time, and it was all that I had expected. It's it's a tough call, frankly, between the, the film and the book, and I don't say that very often. Anyway, uh, Count of Monte Cristo by Alexander Dumas. Uh, excellent read. Highly recommend. Uh, From the Earth to the Moon by Jules Verne has a special story behind it. My daughter Kylie and my wife Tracy and I have a book club that we are doing this year. Uh, we're all reading the same book and we're discussing it on, on Sunday nights. And it's, it's been a real uh, pleasure so far. We've only had a, a couple of episodes so far. The first book that we read was From the Earth to the Moon. We picked this one because it's short, because I remembered it very fondly, and because we found three copies of it for $1.49 a piece at Half Price Books. So it's a rather cheap entree into the, uh, into the, the book club genre, as it were. Uh, from the Earth to the Moon, uh, I started reading it again, and I started getting a little bit concerned because it's it's very mathy, a lot of numbers, a lot of physics. If you don't know the story, Jules Verne tells the story of this this early American club, the Gun Club of Baltimore, and they decide that now that the war between the states is over, they need some kind of plan, some kind of mission to keep them occupied. So they decide to build a gun that's going to shoot a projectile all the way to the moon, which you wonder why in the world somebody would want to do something like that. But nevertheless, they do. And 
the book is rather famous and has been for 150 years now, I guess, for forecasting the uh, idea of space travel and the things that got right and the things that got wrong. Eventually, of course, in the book, a stranger shows up and decides that he wants to be part of the mission. He wants to be put in the projectile and sent to the moon. And eventually he takes a couple of fellas along, uh, along with him. The, that is probably the, the biggest deviation from reality. I suppose they don't really understand back then, but nowadays we realize if you put a human being inside of a giant bullet and fired it at the moon, his rib cage would essentially slice his vital organs in half. It's, it would be impossible to, to do something like that. But, uh, but they didn't know back then, of course, and they, they gave it a shot. Pardon the expression. The, the surprise with, from the earth to the moon comes in. Well, I should have seen it coming too, because when I read the book, what, 35, maybe 40 years ago, I remembered it being called from the earth to the moon and a trip around it. And it wasn't called that, so I thought, well, maybe a later edition or whatever. Uh, come to realize that that is actually two different books. I guess I had either not realized that or forgotten it. Uh, so we get to the end of From the Earth to the Moon, and the people have been launched at the moon and missed the moon and gone into orbit, and they don't know what's going to happen, and that's the end of the book. Uh, spoiler alert. Sorry, should have done that a little bit earlier. Uh, the uh, the Return is in a totally separate book. Uh Around the Moon, I think is what it's called. At any rate, uh, when I got to the end, I thought, oh, Kylie's going to kill me. This is the weirdest ending or non-ending ever. But actually, the the book went over fairly well. Tracy gave it a slight thumbs down. Kylie gave it a slight thumbs up. So uh, the book club is a a success, apparently. We're reading Pride and Prejudice uh, currently. So that's From the Earth to the Moon, Jules Verne. A good read. I'm going to give you two at once here, essentially. Uh, there is The Junction Boys by Jim Dent, and there is Let the World See by Sam Acho. I'll explain how they go together here in a second. Uh, the Junction Boys is a an Aggie classic. The uh, Every bookstore I ever went to in College Station had this book up. The, uh, the Junction Boys is the story of the first football team that Bear Bryant had at Texas A&M University. And he decided to toughen them up because that's his thing. It's what he did. And he took them out to Junction, Texas, which is this secluded, out-of-the-way place near San Antonio. It was a total disaster. It was a a nightmare from day one. Hardly a blade of grass to be seen. Uh, the boys struggled mightily. I think they took 150 kids out there in the first place. They returned with 35 uh, only 25 of them were fit to play in the first week of the season. So it was kind of kind of horrifying. And and that's the way I took it, actually, reading this book. I, I'm i a football fan. I, I like football. I obviously love the Aggies. And this is part of Aggie lore. And saying anything negative at all about the Junction Boys feels like heresy. And I certainly don't want to act like I don't see the upside in building character and in Helping young men become real men and and working through adversity and playing through pain and all that kind of thing. There is an upside to all of that. I, I get that. I don't deny that. Uh, having said that, this was torture. This was should not have been. In fact, it might have been illegal or should be illegal in any way to do something like this. I won't get into the details of the of the processes that they went through, but it was it was torture. One kid literally almost died. 
the story at the end, of course, is that the team, as it says there, they became a championship team. They won the Southwest Conference when this this team came to maturity, including uh, greats like Jack Pardee, longtime uh, NFL coach and player, Gene Stallings, who won a national championship himself at Alabama, coached the Aggies himself. It's a very interesting concept, building character through pain like that. And uh, Bear was very much on the record as to apologizing for the extremes that he put the boys through. Then again, he turned to him when they all reunited at the end and and said, well, you know, you guys turned out so good. Maybe it wasn't such a bad thing to do that. So I'm not sure the lesson was learned there. At any rate, very interesting read. Form your own opinions about the importance of athletics in general, exercise in particular, Gatorade, all that kind of stuff. Anyway, I mentioned that in the context of uh, Let the World See You by Sam Acho, because Acho is also a football player. He played at the University of, Te- University of Texas and uh, eventually played for several years in the NFL, bounced around from team to team. Uh, Acho eventually was diagnosed with essentially an allergy to exercise. Uh, he had to carry around an EpiPen to, uh, because his throat would start to swell up when he would exercise too hard. And I don't not I don't mean to minimize that at all. I, I'm sure that the illness is real, as strange as it may seem. I'm, I'm sure it's real, and I'm all in favor of proper hydration and reasonable limits to exercise and all that kind of thing. And if you have a physical limitation, you need to respect what your doctor says about such things. Nevertheless, reading the Junction Boys and then immediately uh, picking up. Uh, Sam Acho's book and and hearing about somebody who was allergic to exercise, I couldn't help wondering how Bear Bryant would have responded if he'd heard about something like that. If if Gene Stallings had showed up and said, the doctor told me I'm allergic to exercise, coach, I can't go out there. How, how would that go over, I wonder? Anyway, uh, this was a complete and total accident running into the day the sun stood still, which is a compilation of novellas. Uh, Paul Anderson, Gordon Dixon, and Robert Silverberg are the writers. I don't spend a lot of time in the sci-fi section. I happened to be there at a used bookstore one day, and I saw the title, and I was immediately reminded of the Joshua story, of course. And I thought, I wonder if that has anything to do with Joshua. It turns out it absolutely does. The editor of the book basically got three well-known science fiction writers and asked them to write short stories or novellas about what would happen if the earth actually did stop spinning. If this actually happened in the modern day, it's interesting. They all essentially came to the same conclusion. And that is that people are going to do what they're going to do. That the miracle, the clear and unambiguous sign from heaven with regard to God's existence and the power of God would make no difference at all in the lives of people. I find that, at the same time, completely incredible and yet also completely inevitable. I don't think that people change as much by looking at signs as uh, as we might think. And that may be one reason why there have always been people who saw the signs and didn't go along with it. We read that in the Bible all the time. Anyway, a signs podcast may be in the, uh, in the future. But that's a, that was an interesting experiment anyway. Indivisible by four requires another bit of explanation. If you remember the worst episode, and I don't mean the one that was the worst, but I mean the one that was called worst, I talked about the worst book that I had read, and I mentioned an equal music, which I had picked up because it, it talked about 
a musical quartet, and I was looking for a book that would really connect on a on a level like that. I could a fiction book or at least a book regarding a quartet, a string quartet really grabbed my attention. Shortly after I quit on that book, I found this book by Arnold Steinhardt. I did not know there was such a thing as a world famous string quartet, but apparently there was. And to a certain degree there is. They broke up. It's but for 30 years or more, this quartet toured the world. And I found the book very interesting with regard to insights into how quartets come together, how they stay together. Do they necessarily have to be best friends? Spoiler alert, they don't. Uh, do they all share the same tastes? Do they all want to play the same music? Spoiler alert, they don't. But how they find a way to cooperate with one another and come together and making something greater than the sum of its parts. Uh, typically, instrumentalists will either be in a a large orchestra where everybody blends together, or they will be a soloist if they're of remarkable talent. Being a long-term part of a small group like that is this is quite, quite unusual. Quartets just don't stay together ever. And this book provided a good bit of insight into how they managed to stay together for as long as they did. Arnold Steinhardt, if you didn't infer that, is one of the quartet. So uh, if you are interested in quartet music, if you're interested in violins and violas and cellos and such, uh, that uh, this might be an interesting read for you. Indivisible by four. Duel with the Devil, I saw the concept of this book and absolutely had to have it. Duel with the Devil is a story about a court case in New York in pre-revolutionary days, or revolutionary days anyway, where famous rivals Alexander Hamilton and Aaron Burr were actually on the same side of the table. For those who don't know, Aaron Burr wound up shooting and killing Alexander Hamilton. They were both New York lawyers, the two most famous lawyers in New York of their day, very accomplished, very political very motivated. They had a lot of uh, a lot of irons in the fire, as it were, and uh, they didn't get along at all. They never got along. Uh, very different philosophically, very different morally, and they both had an interest in a particular case that took place in New York, a a murder case where someone was accused, and there was some circumstantial evidence that pointed in in his direction, and it seemed like an open and shut case, and it turns out that it absolutely was open and shut, just not against their client. They proved his innocence and and pointed fingers directly at the guilty party. It was a relatively well-known, famous case in New York. Until recently, the site of the murder was still marked. I don't know if it still is or not, but if you like trials, if you like weird history, if you like Alexander Hamilton, a duel with the devil might be an interesting read for you. Uh, Two more to go. Il Gigante by Anton Gill. I had no idea that Michelangelo's David was this big. I had no idea. It is 17 plus feet tall. That, That staggers my imagination. I'd seen pictures of it. I'd never really done any research into it. This is a book about the creation of the David statue. And all that went into it, the the pre-work, the history of Michelangelo as a sculptor, the the tales of the of the sculpture itself, one eye slightly bigger than the other, the level of detail in this enormous statue, Il Gigante is the nickname that it acquired before it was ever completed. It, it's just astounding, all of it. I don't know if you are a fine arts kind of person or if you like a sculpture, sculpture, renaissance, etc. 
if you're into that kind of thing, this might be a, a book that would be of interest to you. I found it especially surprising that all of this work, all of this attention, everyone in, in Florence knew that this was happening. They get ready to unveil the statue when they finally figured out that where they're going to place it. And they wheel it out early, early in the morning in secret because they were afraid bad things might happen. And sure enough, these kids started throwing rocks at the statue, at this this priceless work of art that would stand for hundreds of years. These kids decided, yeah, it's a big, fancy thing. Let's throw rocks at it. Why not? Anyway, not everybody appreciates art as much as I do or perhaps as much as you do. At any rate, Il Gigante is a, is a very interesting study into Michelangelo and, and Florence of the of the Renaissance. Last but not least is John Tesh's book, Relentless. I can remember when I didn't really watch Entertainment Tonight back in the day, but I knew who John Tesh was. And the idea of quitting Entertainment Tonight to work on your musical career seems so preposterous, so ridiculous. What kind of an ego is there on this fella? And then I heard about the Red Rocks uh, concert and how it was this tremendous hit for PBS. And well, I guess maybe he has talent after all. What do you know? Uh, I did not appreciate it. I didn't care at the time. Maybe you don't care now. But uh, John Tesh has a, a long, long history with music. He's always, he says, considered himself more of a mu- musician than reporter or or TV personality. He wrote the music to the uh, NBA on uh, NBC. I believe that's the the one that was on the air forever and ever. Uh, he wrote themes for the Olympics. He, he's got an entire catalog of music that you hear on sports television even today. And, and plenty of other music as well. Uh, John Tesh is a, a very religious person. He puts a lot of stock in in God, in his uh, recovery from cancer, his successful marriage, etc. Very upfront about it. I would not agree with a lot of the, the points of view that he takes with regard to Bible application and prayer and that sort of thing. But the idea that someone this high profile would be this high profile about his faith, uh, I can appreciate that. That's a good thing, and uh, something that we should all uh, strive to to emulate and be as forthcoming with our faith as as he is with his. Anyway, uh, John Tesh, uh, relentless. If you can pick a copy up like I did for one dollar at Mardell, uh, your uh, your money would be well spent. And that's ten books that uh, surprised me to one degree or another. Probably in a week or so, I will be back to talk about the books that disappointed me more than any others. Uh, maybe some that you might recognize, and then eventually get around to the books that, at least at the halfway point, are the favorites that I've read this year. I've read some good ones, and I'm looking forward to sharing them with you. Thank you for listening to the Citizen of Heaven podcast. Please rate, review, and share so others can access this content. I encourage you also to join the Heaven Citizens Facebook group. There you will find links to related materials, conversation starters, poll questions, and the occasional special announcement. Also, check out the Hal Hammonds channel on YouTube for even more content. Until next time, be strong and courageous, fight the good fight of faith, and do all things in the name of the Lord Jesus. This is Hal Hammonds, Citizen of Heaven, signing off.